We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, July the 19th, 2021. Today's show, folks, it is officially talking season as SEC Media Days gets underway today. Live from Hoover, Alabama at the Winfrey Hotel, SEC Media Days is back, the unofficial kickoff to the college football season. Guys, I'll break it all down in its entirety. The questions that I want to hear South Carolina's new head football coach answer. Also, we've got your submissions, questions, things you would want to ask Shane Beamer. Also, in the spirit of SEC Media Days, guys, I will lock in my official picks for the SEC East, West, and my SEC champion in 2021. Guys, as we sit now just 47 days away from another Carolina kickoff. Also, guys, I got news and notes. Your listener questions, like I mentioned, a fantastic conversation, fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks offensive lineman Jarrell King joined me again. We talked about his South Carolina career, going to the SEC championship game in 2010, his life post South Carolina. A lot of good stuff. An interview I know you guys are sure to enjoy. We got a packed show, and I'm going to guess sit back, relax, enjoy. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention other companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packing of special items and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
Ladies and gents, boys and girls, happy Monday. And what a special Monday it is. Because as we sit here right now, just 47 days away from kickoff, no, no, no. I would beg to differ. I would disagree because I say with SEC Media Days beginning today in Hoover, Alabama, the college football season has officially begun with Shane Beamer taking the podium at 4 o'clock. Folks, I'm fired up here on Monday, guys. Appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you all so much. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope this finds you well, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job, you've got the day off, whatever. Hey, maybe you're in Hoover, Alabama. Maybe you're going to SEC Media Days, which if you are, more power to you. But again, guys, appreciate you all tuning in. I am fired up here on a Monday, guys. We have got one hell of a week lined up, by the way. We've got a hell of a week. Content bleeding out the eyeballs, folks. I told you, for yours truly, football season started last week. We've got SEC Media Days today, guys, and I told you before you know it, you're going to blink. It's going to be the start of fall camp. Then it's going to be kickoff, so you better buckle up because we are hitting hyperdrive these next 47 days. But again, guys, thank you all so much for tuning in. Very excited to chat with you all here today. Um, I, I want to say this, guys. Thank you all so much with love and support, man. I, I just can't say that enough because, like I said, we're in the middle of the summer, and some say, oh, this is, you know, things have slowed down. There's not as much going on. Obviously, there's nothing on field going on. But the engagement, the way you guys interact and show love to the content, man, just continue to rock what we do. I, I do not take it for granted. And I, I want to say thank you all. Truly appreciate it. Hope you all had a fantastic weekend. And again, thank you all so much for tuning in, guys. Like I said, we've actually got a quick content update to start this show because as you guys, guys know right now, normally this time of year, we are Monday, Thursday, two podcasts per week. Well, guess what? I got a little surprise for you guys. I got a little gift. Bonus show tomorrow. There will be three podcasts dropping this week just due to the nature of I simply did not want to wait until Thursday's show to talk about what Shane Beamer talked about later today at SEC Media Day. So there will be a podcast, obviously, today, tomorrow, and Thursday. And Thursday's really exciting because on Thursday's show, we will start breaking down the Gamecocks offense, defense, special teams. Then we're going to dive into our position unit previews, guys. Like I told you, things are really ramping up as we creep closer and closer and closer to the start of South Carolina's 2021 football season. But again, guys, three podcasts this week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. We've got the Daily Crow each and every single day. We've got our live show out at 10 Roof, which I definitely want to plug and promote, guys. Be sure to come out to 10 Roof, 5 to 7. And we've also got two special guests Joining me on stage, Jeff O'Hara of Cox by 90. Very good friend of mine. You guys know we did that live show at Halls. Thought it was a massive success and can't wait to talk to Jeff. And also, of course, friend of the show, former Gamecocks quarterback, Perry Orth will sit down with me as well, guys. It's going to be one hell of a night. If you're in the city, be sure to come out. But uh, like I said, content bleeding out the eyeballs this week. We're also doing our NCAA Dynasty streams right now where I'm playing Dynasty on Heisman. I can tell you guys, I can confirm Man, Heisman's hard. <laughs> Heisman's tough. Heisman's been kicking my ass. We've got Kentucky, Troy, and Tennessee this week. Really need a 3-0 and week as we sit here right now, 1-2. and Really need to get a 3-0 and week, or we might have to hand off the controller and hire a new coach. Heck, I don't know. But either way, content bleeding out the eyeballs, guys. Without further ado, let's get into it. Because, again, like I told you guys, this is not just any ordinary Monday. And for yours truly, I have always, always loved SEC Media Days. I've always been a huge SEC Media Days guy, like literally since I started following South Carolina football. And of course, 
SEC media day sort of, it, it evolved. It's, it's kind of crazy because when you really think about it, is it really that big of a deal? And some of the conferences, it's not. But you've seen the last 10, 15 years with the SEC specifically, man, they have made a freaking full-on event out of it, and especially when the SEC network rolled out in 2014. I mean, it's just really taken a life of its own. It's absolutely insane. But I'll give you guys a quick, interesting story, a cool story. For you. I remember... 2012, 13, 14, whatever, those years, I remember sitting there watching SEC Media Days on TV. And my dream at the time, my dream was this. I said, I want to cover SEC Media Days one day. I, I want to cover it. I, I want to cover SEC Media Days. I always want to do that, right? And while I'm not going to be there this year, and, you know, honestly, guys, I didn't even apply for the credentials because I, I say this kind of, I mean, it'd be cool to be there. But what's really the point? I mean, everything they're going to say is on TV. I can make content much more efficiently from the content creation factory, from the studio, if you will. But uh, for the first time ever, because, of course, last year we really didn't have SEC Media Days. It was remote, but I don't even really count that. I don't think that was SEC Media Days. You know, you guys know I moved here in August of 2019. So as crazy as this sounds, this will be the first time in my life covering SEC media days as like my job or my, my passion, my pursuit, doing TSUS full-time. And I have to say, man, it feels really, really, really cool. And I'm really fortunate and blessed. And again, without you guys, it wouldn't be possible. So I truly appreciate it. But I've, I've always been a big SEC media days guy. Of course, you know, when you had Steve Spurrier and Connor Shaw and Clowney going, and, you know, those are guys where the headlines just write themselves. Very excited. Shane Beamer, his first ever SEC Media Days as a head coach. And what an opportunity for him. Again, the first Media Days he's ever done because, of course, he's never been a head football coach. So very exciting. Very, I think, going to be a great opportunity for Shane Beamer to shed light on the South Carolina football program, what they're building, the positive energy they've been building this preseason. And I think you're just going to see the momentum continue to go on. Before I get into guys, because I want to list off my top five questions that I want Shane Beamer to answer. And of course, I'm going to get into your submissions as well, but I'm going to go over my top five questions that I would like to hear Shane Beamer address in today's SEC Media Days. Before I do that, though, again, in the spirit of Media Days, there's going to be a lot of, you know, all conference lists that are going to come out. There's going to be picks that are going to come out. I want to lock in, guys, and I know I tweeted this, I posted on social media Friday my official game-by-game -game predictions for each and every single SEC team on my helmet schedule. But I want to go over real quick so I can do it on the airwaves, officially lock in my predictions for the SEC this season, order of finish, all that good stuff, East, West, and the SEC champion. So let's do that. Let's first start with the SEC East. And I'll go, I'll go seven to one to build up some dramatics, if you will, if you have not seen these yet. Finishing dead last in the SEC East. It's not a surprise. I have got the Vanderbilt Commodores in the seventh spot. I got Vandy going 1-11 this season, 0-8 in the conference. Again, I think we can all agree. Clark Lee, his first year as head coach. Vanderbilt's got real issues. Vander Vanderbilt's got real problems. And while the SEC East is wide open, Vandy has got the cellar, the basement, pretty damn secured, if you will. So give me Vandy in the seventh spot. In the sixth spot. I have the Tennessee Volunteers going five and seven this year, three and five in the SEC. Again, Tennessee's a dumpster fire. They're a nightmare. They've got issues all over the place. They've got the NCAA breathing down their neck. And I think Josh Heupel was actually a pretty solid hire. I don't think you're going to see that in year one, though, man. They've got real issues in their roster on their football team. In the fifth spot, I've got 
your University of South Carolina Gamecocks. And, of course, we all know my predictions. At this point, I have the Gamecocks going 6-6 six and six this season, hitting a bowl game in Shane Beamer's first year, but going 3-5 and five in the SEC. And, again, guys, of course, I've gone over our predictions, but I've got the Gamecocks in that five spot. In the four spot, I have the Missouri Tigers going 8-4 and four this season and 4-4 four and four in the SEC. I've got Kentucky at three, Mizzou at four, and I think that game those two teams play will be the difference that will be the tiebreaker and will put Kentucky ahead of Mizzou. So, again, I've got Mizzou 8-4, and 4-4 four, four and four in the league. I've also got Kentucky, who I have in the three spot, at 8-4 and four and 4-4 four and four in the league as well. And, again, of course, beating Mizzou in that Week 2 matchup, hence putting them ahead of the Tigers. In the two spot, I've got the Florida Gators going nine and three, five and three in the SEC. And again, of course, we talked about Florida losing generational talent with Kyle Trask and Pitts and Trayvon Grimes and all of those guys, all that production that they are losing from a season ago. I mean, again, a nine and three season is a rebuilding year and taking a step back for Florida. They're still Florida. They still have a lot of talent, but I think certainly, like I told you guys, it's no secret. I have Georgia finishing first winning the SEC East. Get this, I've got the dogs going undefeated. 12-0, 8-0 in the SEC. I, you know, When you talk about the East, I think you look at it, it's Georgia, there's a huge gap, then there's Florida, then there's another gap, and really three through six, you know, scramble them up however you like. I mean, really. I, I think the order of finish could be, you know, South Carolina could finish third. Tennessee, heck, could finish third. You know, Mizzou, Kentucky, any of those teams, it's really a fight in the middle for the SEC East hierarchy. Who's going to be that next team? to push Florida, to push Georgia. But right now, the SEC East belongs to the Georgia Bulldogs. I've got them going undefeated, 12-0 overall, 8-0 in the SEC. Let's slide over to the SEC West. The SEC West, I'm going real bold with these picks. Uh, the seven spot, I've got the Mississippi State Bulldogs, 4-8 this season, 2-6 in the conference. In the sixth spot, I've got the Auburn Tigers, 5-7. Two and six in the league. I know I'll be a really popular guy on the Plains, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't understand why people think so highly of the Harson hire. I, I don't think he's a great hire, to be totally honest with you. Like, I don't understand why people would even dare to discredit the hiring of Shane Beamer, but run to defend Brian Harson. Like, th there's no way that's that much better of a hire, guys. There's no way. And things I've heard off the record about Harson. I'm not totally convinced that he'll be the guy, that he'll be the answer. I mean, it's got to be tough being Auburn's head coach, right? Like having a deal on a consistent basis with Nick Saban, like literally in your backyard. Rough life, rough life. But I got Auburn going five and seven, two and six in the SEC, guys. Again, I think it's going to be a struggle for Auburn. I don't think they're going to be a very good football team this year. Um, in the fifth spot, I've got the Arkansas Razorbacks and Sam Pittman's second season going six and six, three and five in the SEC. In the four spot, I've got the LSU Tigers, which, by the way, my guy Michael Bratton is literally picking LSU to win the SEC West, which I think is crazy. I mean, they're a good team, don't get me wrong, but does Alabama just not exist anymore? I've got LSU fourth, though, eight and four in the uh, going eight and four overall, five and three in the SEC, guys. In the third spot, get this I've got the Ole Miss Rebels. Yes, Lane Kiffin, the Lane Train, finishing third in the West, eight and four overall, four and four in the SEC. Now, this is where it gets interesting. In the second spot, finishing second in the SEC West, I think it comes down to between Alabama and Texas AM, and I think Alabama beats AM in. College Station. 
That game being Saturday, October the 9th, one of the games of the year. I think that will be the only blemish on Texas A&M's schedule, only blemish for them this season. I think they go 11-1, 7-1 in the SEC. And then, of course, Alabama. I told you guys, really bold predictions. I've got Alabama winning the SEC West, 12-0 and and 8-0 in the league. I think there will be two undefeated teams, which would pit Alabama-Georgia. Shocker. Alabama-Georgia in the SEC Championship. And get this, guys, maybe I'm putting a hex on them. Maybe I'm jinxing them. I don't know. But I'm telling you guys, I really feel like this is Georgia's year. I I just think Kirby Smart has finally found his quarterback. He has modernized his offense. They are loaded at every single position. They've got talent all over the field. Give me the Georgia Bulldogs, my SEC champion. I know we love to pick and make fun. And Georgia fans do say that this year's their year every single year. But, man, if, if Georgia can't get it done this year, I just don't know when they'll be able to do it. Again, they've got all the pieces. They've got everything. Todd Munkin and that offense, I think, will take another step this year. And uh, can they get – the question will be this. Georgia's not going to be playing this season to beat South Carolina or to beat Tennessee. They're going to be focused on Alabama all year long. What do we have to do to beat Alabama? That, that, that's going to be the number one question surrounding Georgia football this season. Like, anything short of getting to the playoff this year is going to be a disappointment for the Georgia Bulldogs. So, I have Alabama-Georgia SEC title game. Give me the Georgia – Bulldogs winning the SEC, which again, maybe that will be a bold pick. I don't know. I'm very, I'll be very interested to see who the SEC, who the media, I should say, picks in the SEC. Will they roll with the safe pick in Alabama or will people go out on a limb and take Georgia as the favorite to win the conference? I don't know, but I've got the Georgia Bulldogs. Go ahead and lock it in. All right, let's move specifically back to the South Carolina side of things, guys. And I figure, why not? We'll play a fun little game. My top five questions that I would like to hear Shane Beamer answer. If I was there, I would ask him. Let's get into it. My first question. We've talked a lot this preseason. We're going to break it down even more on Thursday. Like I told you guys, Thursday's show, we're going to talk offense. Next Monday's show, we're going to talk defense. The following Thursday, we're going to talk about special teams. So we're going to break down this football team in its entirety. And then, of course, we're going to spend basically the remaining three or four weeks left till kickoff to break down the position units individually. But we've talked a lot this preseason about offense. I think that's the number one question, the number one thing fans want to know when they think of Shane Beamer's football team. What do you plan to do offensively, right? The, the, the question of, you know, are you going to do what you did under Lincoln Riley? Are you going to do, you know, what, uh, you know, is Satterfield going to bring into the, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the LSU offense with, with Joe Brady? You know, what, what is this offense going to look like? What's going to be the identity? What's going to be the philosophy? That would be the first question I would ask Shane Beamer. Coach, What is your offensive identity? What is your philosophy? And to add to that, I would say, what do you feel? You know, again, of course, he's not going to give away secrets or exactly what they want to do. But I'd just be curious to know, you know, what is his philosophy and what does he want the identity of this offense to be? Because I think what they want the offense to be and what it will be this year are probably two different answers. Because, of course, I really do believe, and I think the thing we're all excited about is we're finally going to play to what the roster allows us to do, right? We're not going to go out there and throw the ball 50 times a game. We are a run-first team. There's no question. When you look at the strengths of South Carolina, four or five returning offensive linemen, Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd, which, by the way, Marshawn Lloyd's been posting like a fiend on Instagram. He's ready to go. He's 110%. Put the SEC on high alert. But I'd love to know, Coach Beamer, what is your offensive identity and what is your philosophy and how much do you expect that to change and evolve as you continue to have successes and victories on the recruiting trail and get your guys, get your type of players, your type of playmakers on campus? So that'd be the first question I ask. The second question that I would like to have 
Shane Beamer answer. Going to the other side of the ball, Coach Beamer, how do you want to attack opposing offenses? Again, do I expect him to reveal all his secrets and you know just lay out the game plan in today's media availability and you know when he steps behind that podium? No, I do not. But I think one of the most intriguing storylines and intriguing questions for this Gamecocks defense this year is this. I wonder how much of a pressure team will we be? Because the Gamecocks, you're going to have to gamble. You're going to have to gamble defensively. And I love the hire of Clayton White, by the way. Really, the entire defensive staff, Torian Gray, Jimmy Lindsey, um, you know, love all those guys. I think the defensive staff is really, really good, really, really solid. But South Carolina is going to have to make up its mind because – Let's face it, the secondary is a major question mark, right? It it is an area of concern. It is a deficiency on this football team, even with the job. And I think Shane Beamer has done an incredible job in the transfer portal, trying to plug those holes. Obviously, the Karan Prunty pickup was huge. um, And some of the other guys they've added. But South Carolina is going to have to decide, okay, we know, again, looking at the strengths of the football team, you've got a fantastic defensive line. You've got legit guys, legit dudes in your front seven that can make life hell for a quarterback. How are you going to attack opposing offenses? Do you want to be more of a blitz team? Do you want to sit back and trust that you can get pressure with four? Because, again, the best friend of a struggling secondary and a secondary with question marks is pass rush. It's pressure. And I think, again, South Carolina, when they get in the third and sevens, third and eights, whatever it might be, they're going to have to make a decision. Okay, do we trust our DBs to cover? Do we trust our D-line to get there with four? Or do we need to take a risk and send six guys or maybe even seven guys and say, you know what, we better get there because we simply do not trust that we can cover for longer than, say, two or three seconds. So how do they want to attack opposing offenses? What's, you know, basically I talked about what's the offensive identity and philosophy. What's the defensive identity and philosophy? Do you want to be a pressure team? Like what type of football team do you want to be on the defensive side? That is the second question that I would like to hear Shane Beamer answer in today's SEC Media Days availability. My third question that I want to ask Shane Beamer, and again, this is the part of the game that I feel like nobody's talking about this preseason. You hire a new coach, you know, we're really excited about Luke Doty and Marshawn Lloyd and Kevin Harris and the offense and the defense. But guys, Beamer ball. Special teams, of course. How are we not talking more about special teams and how much that can change and impact the game? My third question I would, I want Shane Beamer to answer, what will it take and what do you plan on doing to put the quote-unquote special back in special teams? I, you know, and I just, because you have to think, he certainly picked up a lot. He's going to get asked about his dad being Frank Beamer, you know, what he, what he learned along the way from different coaches he worked for. I wonder how much of that stuff he did with his dad, his dad did at Virginia Tech. How much will that play into his game planning as a head football coach? Like, I really believe, especially a team like South Carolina, who is fighting to get to six wins, and we all understand the challenge and the reality of the roster this year, special teams is, is, the, is a wild card factor that is going to play a big factor in games for South Carolina this football season. There's no question. I mean, it would not shock me at all. Would not shock me at all. And I expect it. For there to be a game this season that South Carolina is going to win, we're going to say special teams was the biggest difference. Either the Gamecocks blocked a punt, they blocked a field goal, you know, they had a kickoff return for a touchdown, punt return, whatever it might be. I fully expect, if nothing else this season, the special teams to be a strength once again for South Carolina. So I would love to hear, because you know Shane Beamer is a special teams guru, man. There's no question. Growing up, 
being the son of Frank Beamer, obviously coaching it himself. He's got Pete Limbo on staff, who's one of the best in the entire country. I'd love to hear Shane Beamer, I'm sure he will, expand on his special teams philosophies, what makes a great special teams unit, and how he plans, again, to make the special teams special yet again at South Carolina. The fourth question I want Shane Beamer to answer, and I just kind of touched on it, but the fourth question I would ask, Coach, what have you learned from the head coaches that you've been under that has prepared you to be the head coach at the University of South Carolina? And again, I know he, he expanded on this a bit when he got hired, but I, I'd love to hear about his experience, experiences even more. I would love to hear about his experiences, you know, working, you know, obviously his dad being Frank Beamer. He's worked under Kirby Smart. He's worked under Lincoln Riley. He's worked under Steve Spurrier. And the, the tidbits, the things he's been able to, to take away from each guy, because obviously you don't want to copy anybody. You got to have your own style. You got to be your own person. But certainly you can kind of pick and choose different things like, hey, I like the way the guy or I like the way this, this guy does this. I like the way this guy does that. And you kind of pick and choose things you want to take and incorporate and all that good stuff. I'd love to hear him expand more and how he feels those opportunities and those experiences have prepared him, have prepared him for this challenge and this opportunity at the University of South Carolina. I'm going to add a bonus question, guys, because this one just came to my head. So I know I said top five questions. The fifth one's kind of funny, more of a joke anyways, but this would be my fifth question. Because we've seen the incredible energy shift, the incredible energy shift, and the way that Shane Beamer's just been able to totally flip this program, and we've talked about it in recruiting, and I've, I've mentioned it hundreds of times on the airwaves in regards to you know how impressed I am with the job Shane Beamer has done in, in regards to changing the energy, the overall momentum, and the crazy amounts of momentum and positive energy they have built up to this point. I'd love to hear Shane Beamer say, hey, coach, what is it you guys are doing? What are you saying? How do you feel the people in the building, that entire coaching staff, and of course, spearheaded by yourself? Like, what's been the recipe? What's been the secret to your success in winning the preseason, if you want? Again, I know we're in the honeymoon phase. Nobody's dropped a pass. Nobody's fumbled the football. We haven't lost a game, right? So it's very easy to be positive and, and have positive momentum and positive energy and all that good stuff. But like I've told you guys a hundred times, I mean, it's just the job they've done has been incredible. I'd love to hear him expand on that more. And I think Shane Beamer is going to spend the day today selling the heck out of his South Carolina football program and, and continuing to keep the momentum going and keeping, you know, keeping the vibe very high and being energetic, energetic and all that good stuff. But I'd love to hear him expand on it more like coach. I mean, you're having crazy success in recruiting. Your fan base is 110% bought in. It sounds like your team, the players are bought in. There's a crazy amount of positive energy and momentum surrounding Gamecock football right now. What do you feel you guys have been able to do so successfully to make that a reality? I, I would love to hear him expand on that. I'm sure that is something he will hit on in today's media availability. Guys, that, that was my top five questions. My last question, a bonus question, guys. And this is the question. This might be the most important question. This might be the one that needs to be answered above all the rest. If I was in Hoover, I would politely raise my hand and say, hey, coach, Chris Phillips, the Spurs Up show, um, got a question. What do you plan to do on the uniforms? Are we getting new uniforms, coach? <laughs> What's the move with uniforms? We saw you holding up that crazy helmet, the 1969 vintage throwback helmet. Coach, are we getting new unis? What's the plan with the unis. That's what the people really want to know, Coach. You, hey, you want to send Gamecock social media into a freaking tailspin and fire everybody up, get everybody going crazy? Drop some new uniforms tomorrow. Huh? Drop some new unis, right? Why not? Coach, come on. Do it for the content. Why not? But again, those are my top five questions that I would like Shane Beamer to answer. And again, it should be a really fun day 
at SEC Media Days. Really excited. Really, really excited to hear Shane Beamer take the podium. And also, also, Nick Muse and J.J. Anibare. Do not forget about that. Do not forget about those two guys as well. Very excited to hear from all the guys. And again, the official, unofficial, I say official though, kickoff to the 2021 college football season. Again, quick reminder for those that don't know, four o'clock is when Shane Beamer is expected to take the podium. So you've got some time today to chill, relax, whatever. Uh, Dan Mullen speaking in the morning at Orgeron's middle of the day. And then Shane Beamer, save the best for last, why don't you? He will be the last coach to take the podium and speak on Monday. I'm glad they gave us the Monday slot, by the way. Don't make us wait all week. There's some guys that won't even go to like freaking Wednesday. Don't make us wait all week. Very glad we get to hear Shane Beamer speak on day one. All right, so I open it up to you guys. What questions would you ask Shane Beamer if you had the opportunity? I want to read off some of these submissions. We'll first go to Instagram. Ekarch08 says, what's your favorite Steven Garcia moment? (laughs) I think those would have to be probably behind closed doors. Guys, if you didn't know, by the way, I was with Garcia and Perry Orth and ran into Taj Boy, which by the way, people were freaking out over that video I posted with Taj Boy. Taj is the homie. Taj is a good friend. I literally took the video and I showed, I said, hey man, you mind if I post this? It'll be great for my content. He, He thought it was hilarious. Like Taj Boy, I think is very much so at peace with his college career. And I even told him, I was like, Taj, I mean, I have a funny 10 second video. Y'all have a six game winning streak over us. So, Hey, at least just let me make some content, whatever. Either way though, um, was with those guys. And I can tell you, uh, not many waters were consumed. We'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> uh, Austin G underscore 45. What makes you believe you can be successful at South Carolina with the challenges you have? Great question, Austin. And again, I think that's something Shane Beamer. I mean, I think tomorrow's or today, excuse me, is really just going to be a big commercial, a big advertisement. Of, hey, I'm excited to be at South Carolina. This is why I'm at South Carolina. This is why kids should want to come to South Carolina. This is what we're doing at South Carolina. And really just an opportunity, again, to sell the program. And I think you're going to hear, I think that's going to come out, man. Again, it's a guy, Shane Beamer. We know he loves South Carolina. He's talked about it being his dream job. He loves being there. He loves the place. He understands how special Columbia is and the University of South Carolina is and Gamecock football is. And again, I think you're going to hear that. He's going to, that's going to ooze out of him. I, I think it does naturally because, again, he loves what he does and he loves, he believes in, in the Gamecocks, and, and when you do, that's going to come out naturally. So, again, I, I think great question, Austin, and I think that's something he will certainly be addressing all day today. Um, American Offshore, at what game will we honor the 2010 SEC championship team at halftime? Great question. Great question. They really haven't been honored that much. Have they? Outside of the little just 2010 SEC East champions thing, they really haven't been honored all that much. Uh, Justin underscore Clemmer, what are your goals for this season and five-year goals. Now, if you asked them that question, I mean, listen, their goal is to win every football game, right? They're not looking at me and being like, oh, yeah, let's let's go six and six. No, they're trying to win every game they play in. Um, you know, I would love to hear, though, as far as, you know, every coach sets preseason goals. I'd love to ask them, like, hey, coach, what do your preseason goals look like for your team? Not even this year, but like year in, year out. Because I think certainly, and I don't think it's going to be lip service, like the goals, they want to win the SEC. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy, Shane Beamer, who – he got a taste of it at Carolina. I mean, they went to Atlanta when he was there. So we're talking about a guy that, again, has been on South Carolina staff in an SEC championship game. I'm sure that's going to be the goal year in, year out. And it should. It should, bottom line. Um, yeah, but I think a really, really good question for sure. Andrew underscore the underscore textbook says he's at, he'd ask Shane Beamer, what position is your biggest 
concern right now. Well, I don't think he'd throw anybody under the bus, but yeah, I would love to hear that side of it. I'd love to hear the honesty um, in regards to his football team and the areas they need to address in fall camp. Uh, D will three, three, seven. What's the biggest goal in 2021 and why is it beating Kentucky? <laughs> love it. Yeah, we got we got to beat Kentucky, man. We got to be. I know I paid this to lose to him, but damn, we need that one. We need to beat him. Uh, Chef K76. Do you feel the culture is back to a winning culture? And again, I think culture is something Shane Beamer is going to talk about a lot in today's media availability. Again, he's going to use this as an opportunity to sell his program, and he should. It's a really smart and wise way to use the time that you have. But uh, certainly, I think culture will be something that will be brought up, and I think that he will use for sure. Um, here we go. Let's jump to Twitter. Elizabeth Ballard. Appreciate Elizabeth leaving a question. Her question is, for Shane Beamer would be, what is your favorite ice cream place in Columbia? Elizabeth, those are the things that really we really need to know, right? Who cares about offense, defense, special teams? What's your favorite ice cream spot? Why not? Uh, JL Backup Quarterback says, who was the Wednesday welcome home, bro? People are losing their freaking minds. You know, I had Phil Cornblow on my show a couple of weeks ago. Phil, awesome dude. But, I mean, man, they're just, hey, the, the commitments are going to announce then. The, the commitment's going to announce now. The commitment's going to go live and announce, you know, Sunday at 5 o'clock. It's like, dude, let's just all come to grips with that. Nobody knows when the heck this kid's announcing. I've had people DMing me, co constantly ask me, hey, Chris, who's that welcome home? When's he announcing? Guys, I, I know what you know. and I, But, I mean, I appreciate y'all asking me. Keep asking me. But, I, dude, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I have no clue what the kid's waiting on. I have no idea. So, when we know, we'll know. It is what it is. Um, let's see. Best Life says, what advice have you received from Coach Spurrier or your father that you had not thought of and immediately made a note of it? Was a note it was important to know since taking the South Carolina job. Yeah, I think it's a really good one. Again, kind of goes back to what I said. What have you learned from head coaches um, that you've been under that has prepared you for this moment and this opportunity? No, for sure. I, I think that's something great. I, I think certainly he will be asked about that. And I, I think we will hear him go into detail about that. Uh, today at SEC Media Days for sure. Um, let's jump to Facebook. We've got a couple of more questions you would ask. Shane Beamer, Michael Jones says, how much do you think underdevelopment attributed to the last few season records? Well, Michael, I, I don't think you'd hear Shane Beamer be anything but complimentary of Will Muschamp and the previous staff. I, I just don't think he's that kind of guy. You know, you, you, don't, you don't have a very long and successful career if you spend your time throwing other coaches under the bus. But uh, I, I'd love to hear him speak on player development as a whole and how they plan to – you know, I would just say reverse that trend a little bit. Like, hey, you know, the development has been questioned. You know, what, what's the key to being a great talent developer, if you will? That's what I would love to hear uh, from Coach Beamer. Donnie Cunningham says, what is a successful season in 2021 under Shane Beamer? Donnie, I don't know if you're asking me that or you would ask Shane Beamer that. I guess, you know, again, if you ask Shane Beamer what would be a successful 2021 season, I would be curious and intrigued. To, uh, to hear his answer and hear his response. Um, you know, certainly we've said, you know, getting to a bowl game, getting to six wins. But again, those guys in the building, they're expecting, they're trying to win every single game. And they've got a list of goals. So again, hopefully Shane Beamer does expand and give us a little bit of insight on the goals that he has year in and year out for his program. I'd be really intrigued and interested to hear that. Cam Johnson says, he would ask Shane Beamer, can Zach Pickens live up to the hype? Well, I, I would hope he'd say yes. <laughs> I would hope he'd say yes. Uh, Hunter Johnson, how much emphasis are you putting on winning the rivalry games compared to the last staff? Hunter, I think this is a great question. I'm really curious, will Shane Beamer get any Clemson questions, right? Will he get any questions on, you know, because this, this is a guy that understands the rivalry. I mean, heck, if he's on staff, we beat him in 2009 and 2010. He gets the rivalry. Um, 
but yeah, will there be any Clemson questions? It's hard to get around it. You know, it's hard to ignore it when they are your, you know, your rival to the, to the Northwest, I guess, or whatever. Um, it's hard to get around it, right? And that rivalry is really important. I say the best in all of college football, one of the, be- one of the best, certainly, in the entire country. Um, you know, the media sometimes, too, I mean, they ask some pretty wild questions. I remember when Will Muschamp was asked, like, uh, you know, about South kind of being their little brother and all that. I, I, I don't know if some of them will be that stupid to ask a question like that, but uh, you have to imagine there's going to be at least one Clemson question that, uh, that Shane Beamer will receive, no doubt. Earl Davis says, will you pull a player that is not performing and put someone else in just to give him a chance to see what he can do in a game situation? Yeah, I mean, Earl, I mean, you know, probably wouldn't phrase it that way, but asking him just in regards to, you know, philosophies on playing time and guys that earn spots and earn opportunities, yeah, I think certainly. Uh, I think he'll probably, I would say, probably would, uh, probably would address that. Last question, Will Harvey says he'd ask Shane Beamer, what are you and your staff bringing that the previous coaching staffs did not? Again, guys, like I said, I don't think you're going to hear Shane Beamer throw Will Muschamp or anybody under the bus. That's for us to do. Um, now, I, I, you know, I think he'll be nothing but complimentary of the previous staff, but I think certainly, you know, again, he's going to use the day to sell his South kind of football program. He's going to use the day to sell what they're cooking up, what they got going on in Columbia, and I think it's going to be an absolutely awesome time. I expect Shane Beamer to absolutely crush his media availability today. No doubt. No doubt. I think he'll crush it. I think he'll absolutely crush it and really, really looking forward to it. So again, guys, that's my SEC Media Days preview. Shane Beamer, Nick Muse, and JJ and Igbare heading to Hoover, Alabama, the Winfrey Hotel. Four o'clock. Around four o'clock is when those guys are going to be taking the podium. Also, guys, really quick, if you are in the Big Cock Club, if you're in the Big Cock Club and specifically the Big Cock Club Discord, we will be doing a live stream around 3.50 or so for SEC Media Day. So if you're in that Discord, please be sure to tune in. Please be sure to look out for that. If you're not in it, hey, join the Big Cock Club. A lot of great perks. Um, you get access to the, the, uh, the Discord, you know, behind-the-scenes content, you know, early looks at content that we release, we drop. Uh, behind the beak also is another offering exclusive merch, a 20% off promo code for all merchandise in the TSUS store. Heck, I think that alone is worth the $9.99 a month, especially if you like the merch. But again, quick reminder, Big Cock Club Discord, we'll be doing a live stream at around 4 o'clock, I should say, for SEC Media Day. So if you guys, hey, we can watch together, you want to tune in, all that good stuff, going to be a lot of Fun. So again, looking forward to it. Four o'clock. Shane, we're going live. Nick Muse, JJ Nibare. Really, really excited. The unofficial, official start to the 2021 college football season. I'm freaking fired up, guys. I'm literally in a sweat right now. I'm so pumped up. Um, all right, let's jump into some news and notes, guys, and then we'll get into our interview. Um, baseball notes to get into. First off, Carolina Baseball has hired Chad Collette. Of Texas A&M, he will fill these vacancy of Trip Couch, who just left to take a job with Arizona. Trip Couch was recruiting coordinator and just an assistant, so Chad Collette will fill in that role. Again, honestly, guys, how much do I know about the guy? Not a ton, but from what I've, you know, I've talked to certain people, very well-respected, very light coach, did a pretty good job at Texas A&M. So, again, I think a solid addition to Mark Kingston's staff. Also, real quick, I know this was announced probably last week, but just officially on the airwaves, John Gilreath, left-handed pitcher, announcing he is set to return for the Gamecocks in the 2022 season. So another quality arm out of the bullpen, I'd expect for John. And uh, John Gilreath, great dude, great Gamecock, 
Again, another quality lefty. We love the lefties, man. As a fellow lefty myself, we need all the lefties, all the quality lefties we can get. So John Gilry set to return for Carolina baseball. All right, guys. Hey, what a show. What a day. What a Monday. Not your typical Monday, folks. Not your typical Monday. And we love that as the content machine rolls on it. Hey, we've got a fantastic conversation. Don't go anywhere again, guys. Former Gamecocks offensive lineman, Jarrell King. Really, really good stuff here in his perspective, his time at South Carolina. If you remember those teams, those Spurrier teams, 2009, 2010, this dude was a monster. This dude was an anchor on those offensive lines and had a fantastic time chatting with Jarrell. Really, really good stuff, man. A fantastic combo and one I know you're sure to enjoy. So again, guys, appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you all so much for the love and support. We've got a packed week of content with the podcast the daily crow we're back out at 10 roof wednesday which will be there each and every single wednesday got cox by 90 and perry orth joining us we have got content bleeding out the eyeballs this week and i say thank you thank you to you all for being along for the ride what a blast it is all right guys hey appreciate you all tuning in enjoy this conversation with former gamecocks offensive lineman jarrell king All right, joining us here on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2008 to 2010. During his career, he made 25 career starts on the offensive line, helped lead the Gamecocks to the 2010 SEC championship game. He also played in the NFL for both the Giants and Seahawks and also spent time in the CFL with the Argonauts and Rough Riders. Right now, he's currently the head of Overdrive Academy, an academy teaching offensive line, defensive line. They're doing different camps, sort of similar to our good friends, Stephen Garcia and Perry Orth, what they're doing with quarterbacks. He's doing with offensive linemen and defensive linemen, Gamecocks, helping Gamecocks all across the state. Very pleased to be joined by former South Carolina offensive lineman, Jarrell King. Jarrell, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it, man. Now, Jarrell, let, let's go back to the beginning for you because you are a Juco bandit, if you will. You're, you're kind of the uh, the last chance you. I feel like people that have watched that show on Netflix, you lived that. You're from North Charleston, but started your football career at Georgia Military Academy or Georgia mm-hmm. Military College, as you say. Um, and South Carolina, that was actually a really nice pipeline for Steve Spurrier and the Gamecocks. You know, I think the first names that really come to, to mind are Jasper and Casper Brinkley and some others. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you went the Juco route. Just – Talk about that. What was that experience like? What did you learn? Because, again, for people that don't understand, don't realize, again, if you've if you've watched Last Chance You, I know they kind of Hollywood it up a little bit and played up, but it really is truly a grind. I mean, you you are you are playing for the love of the game, getting your your second chance, if you will, I guess, or looking for that next opportunity. But talk about the decision to go JUCO and what was that experience like for you? What did you learn most in it? So, um, speaking on that experience, man, so with my story – I was recruited by Lou Holtz and his staff. And then when Spurrier took over, you know, he made a few changes, but he kept me along his, uh, on his radar. Uh, and I was a, you know, high prospect when it came to defensive line and he switched me over to offensive line. Mm. So I got recruited from high school and I actually got my scholarship offense signed while I was in high school, but it was the grades, man. It was that GPA mixing with the uh, SAT scores and ACT and stuff like that. So, you know, I wasn't a good standardized test taker. So mine kind of didn't, it, it was like right on the brink, but it wasn't there. So I had to take the JUCO route. Um, and that's one thing I preach to these kids, man. You know, when you have great opportunities, even if you don't have a scholarship on the line, still bust your butt in school. You got to get your schoolwork. And that's why I'm here at my old high school now, you know, for summer school, trying to help these guys get on track. But um, 
that JUCO route, man, it, it, it is something that I encourage a lot of kids to look into if your grades aren't, aren't as, you know, as good and where you need them to be. Or if you just need a, a, a pipeline to a D1 school, like you said, um, it's a grind. Crazy grind. Georgia Military College, big ups to y'all because they they got us ready for that that D one you know work and, their, and and the expectations from a guy like Coach Spurrier and and, and Junior and um, Coach Nix, those guys like that. So it was it was just like a D one you know atmosphere, man. Um, of course, the facility is different. You know, you're playing against different teams and, and caliber of players, but at the same time, to get on that field to be able to balance the life of uh, well, I was a cadet over there at Georgia military. So you had to be enrolled in the military program. So if you really wanted to play ball over there for real, <laughs> Hey, you got, yeah, man, you got to go through what you got to go through. And that was um, a make or break point for a lot of guys also, because, you know, a lot of guys, they're used to just doing school and football. But right. then when you throw the military aspect in it, you got to get up five something in the morning, you know, clean your room, you know, TVs in your room. Um, you know, uh, you got to get up and salute the flag and do, you know, rock marks and stuff like that. It's a crazy grind, dude. You know, the weight rooms and everything, that's the number one thing, you know, taking care of your body, getting in the weight room when no one else wants to work hard, you're working hard, just like a D1 program, you know, um, making sure you're eating what you need to eat right, just like a D1 program. So I always tell my kids now, do everything like a pro. Don't just, you know, go out there and take your normal reps and sets. Anything you do is like a pro. You know, don't think of a high school or a, a, a D3 or semi-pro athlete think like a pro for sure now Jarrell you, you mentioned Lou Holtz and South Carolina obviously was recruiting you out of high school and you go to GMC and of course at JUCO the recruiting process it sort of starts over if you will and, and you're being re-recruited by different schools just talk about the recruiting process in regards to when you were finishing up at GMC were you always set on South Carolina were there other schools that jumped in once you went the JUCO route and what did it come down to why'd you choose to become a game guy I was always set on South Carolina yeah um, part of it was because of my mom, she was, you know, being in North Charleston, being from North Charleston, uh, we weren't getting too many people looking down here, you know, pulling from this area like that. Uh, and my mom, she would go to GMC actually to the junior college games and travel to see me play there. She saw me play in high school. She'd come and see me, you know, and she wasn't always feeling the best, you know, dealing with illness, but she was always there. And, you know, I got a homeschool like Carolina, um, I wasn't a big college football fan, to be honest with you, but, you know, it really Carolina spoke to me, put it like that, you know, and I ended up there. But I had LSU. I had Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, uh, the other USC on the other side of there, uh, Oregon. Um, I, I, and I literally have the letters still in uh, my mama's closet at her house to prove it. So. For sure. Now, something really interesting, Jarrell, about your career. I want to jump to this. You get on campus. Uh, 2008, and I don't know if people remember this, you dealt with a heart flutter, though. And anytime you deal with heart issues of any kind, it's it's kind of a scary thing, if you will. I mean, that's something to not play with. Just just talk about that. Obviously, it didn't deter you too much because you played in that 2008 season. You started nearly the entire season at left tackle for South Carolina. But just talk about dealing with that. Again, I remember hearing about that in the media and mm -hmm. stuff, but I don't think we really got the details. I mean, how how tough was that? How much did that hold you back? How How tough was that to overcome? Um, honestly, man, it, it was very tough mentally and physically, uh, physically, because when I was at Georgia military, that's when I actually got diagnosed with, um, my heart issue. So it, at first I went to a doctor and he said it was cardiac ischemia, which 
I believe he said I had holes in my heart and the blood wasn't flowing right. And, and that's I, just something you're born with, right? It's nothing you have control over. Right. Yeah. Right. I've been told I've been told before I had a normal just heart murmur, you know, as a as right. a child or whatnot. Um and but like I said, when I went to the doctor there in Milledgeville, Georgia, he told me it was cardiac ischemia. Um, I got a second opinion from the coaches down there. I mean, uh, not from the coaches, but from Dr. Guy, I believe it was, Jeffrey Guy in mm-hmm. Columbia. He's the team doctor, and he's an awesome, 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 awesome guy. Um, but I went down to him, and I can't remember the other guy's name, but I wish I remember so much, man. But they um, – they took good care of me and they looked into my situation and they said, no, it's atrial fibrillation. So I had a, I have AFib, which means that the top part of my heart and the bottom part of my heart, they don't always beat in sync. So, that, you know, you have the top part that goes boom and the other part, it, it boom. So it's like boom, 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 boom. And my heart, what it does is it goes boom, boom. And then it'll, it'll, it'll do its thing. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. Boom. And then the bottom part, boom, 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 it's like quickly trying to catch up to it. So what that does to me is immediately when my heart starts to flutter like that, I'm done. Is right. is I can I'm the only thing I really can do is lay down and go to sleep. Right. <laughs> so yeah, for sure. So you had to overcome that, but again, like I said, it didn't hold you back too much on the field. I, I want to jump into. You mentioned uh, Steve Spurrier earlier. Obviously, again, you got recruited by one Hall of Famer. You played for another. Um, and I know that Steve Spurrier obviously got different relationships with different guys on his team, but he asked a lot out of his offensive line, obviously. Just talk about those first interactions, your interactions as a whole with Steve Spurrier and your impressions from playing for your Hall of Fame head coach. Man, um, I had an English teacher over here named Ms. Pav Lisco. And Ms. Pav, she was a die-hard Spurrier fan, you feel me? She <laughs> right. was with him when he was with Florida and everything. Like, she was a Spurrier fan. Mm-hmm. And it's very – I don't know too many people that are fans of like just the coach. Like you travel with, I've seen people travel with players. Like wherever that player go, they follow them. But I've never seen someone travel with a coach. And she was um, when she found out I had an offer from Carolina, man, she was down like throw like oh Spurrier, Spurrier, Spurrier. You don't know who he is. I told you I wasn't a big you know college right. football guy, but she was like Spurrier. He's this and that and that. And she took me to Columbia to uh, you know my uh, official visit and everything. And right. um, but before that, Spurrier actually came down to North Charleston. South Carolina down here and, and uh, Remount Road. And he came down to my mom's house on Dobson Street and he sat in the living room, him and Junior. And we talked and we talked about my future at Carolina. And, you know, he has this uh this way about him to where if you don't understand him. You just you're not going to like him, I guess. And a lot of people like that, as we already know. But he had high expectations of me. And I didn't realize that until I was gone. You know, I saw him joking. I saw him kid a good bit, you know, but. He was he was he was very business minded when it came to football. You know, like he was he was on point with it. He wanted his guys to be on point. And playing for him was 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 an awesome experience. Yeah, but it was after the fact, man. When I realized what kind of guy he was and what he was doing with me, he knew my potential. I didn't know it back then. He knew it, so he held his thumb on me, man. I'm telling you, I'd make some damn good plays, and we'd be inside a meeting room. Uh, the, the next day or whatnot, and I'm just sitting there waiting on him to say something about, yeah, look at that block, Jarrell, or something like that. Never, nothing. He probably said something like, yep, Jarrell, good job. Okay. And then he'd go on. I'm like. But he, he'd be the first to cuss you when you messed up, though. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, hands yeah. down. Well, being an offensive lineman, period, that's what you look forward to. You look forward to uh, getting all – getting doing all the work up front and then the running backs get to celebrate and everyone looking at him like, you're the best. And they don't look at us like, you know <laughs> – I didn't just move a 350-pound guy 20 yards down the line. You know, yeah. I didn't do that at all. You're the unsung heroes, man. You only get recognized when you mess up. Yeah. 
and yeah. oh well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, gotta, not, yeah, you can't be sensitive playing line, man. Yeah, you got to have the right personality. I, go backtracking a little bit because, like you said, you mentioned this. Um, you were highly recruited as a defensive lineman. You started right. out defensive line, of course. Right now, you coach both offensive and defensive line. Was right. that a tough transition for you? I mean, did you care, or is it was it just a thing where you're like, I just want to help the team and be on the field, or did you want to play O line? I mean, what? That's actually what it was. That's, like, both? that's actually what it was. I want to be on the field and help the team. You know, I look back now after uh, my career, and it's like I wish I, I did play defensive line because I I'm naturally a defensive lineman. I'm way I made it to the NFL playing offensive line. How much further would I have made it me playing defensive line because I'm better at that? But you know, the story about that Spurrier asked me when I was at Georgia Military College on the phone. He said, "Hey, can you have you ever played offensive line?" And I'm like, "No." So he's like, "Yeah, I want to try you at offensive line." So when I came to Carolina, I never played a snap at D line. Not one snap, dude, at right. D-line. I played uh, – he started me off that first day. I went up against Cliff Matthews and Cliff Gathers. Um, right. uh, who else was it? Jasper and Casper, Norwood, those guys. And it, it was rough at first because my my very first play, my very first play at Carolina, I was on my ass, and nobody even had touched me. <laughs> I had – I had. I'm coming from a JUCO now, and I got Eric Norwood lined up over here at linebacker. I got Jasper and Casper Brinkley uh, – I got Jasper on the line, Casper over there, the other linebacker, and they run a stunt. So Norwood crosses my face over here. Jasper is blitzing this way. I'm trying to follow Norwood here, and then I see this guy coming. I'm trying to pick him up. So and the next thing you know, I'm falling back on my behind, man. <laughs> no one touched me at all, and I'm on my ass. A humbling experience, for sure. Very humbling experience. <laughs> but um, I picked I picked yeah. it up pretty well, though. That's the problem. I picked I, I, after that. I started doing a little too damn good, and then he yeah. ended up leaving me at left tackle, and uh, <laughs> that, that was that. Yeah. Well, like I said, it obviously worked out very well for you on the offensive line. Like I said, you started twenty five games, and you know you started your first game at Carolina, the NC State game in two thousand eight, and obviously again played through the SEC schedule. You know, you talk about again the transition. I mean, you know, just you talk about your first practice doing it. How do you feel you held your own in the SEC? I mean, obviously, you're going against the best, the best. And, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you you didn't see many better than what you saw in practice, like you just mentioned, Cliff Matthews, Norwood, and those guys. I mean, South Carolina's had a history of great defensive linemen. But uh, that first season playing in the SEC, like, I, I'm sure I'm sure that was very much a, a learning experience for you. And, obviously, your game made, you know, a huge jump in that first season. Right. Um I had I had I had guys like Jamon Meredith, dude, who I give a lot of credit to Jamon. Jamon really took me under his wing since high school, and he groomed me a whole lot when it came to that line. Um, I, like I said, I came straight from D line to O line, and I had that dude telling me plays. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so yeah, the first probably the first three games, he was still shouting calls out to me, like you know, coach was calling out play. I mean, uh quarterback's calling out plays and he's just my guard he's my left guard I'm left tackle so as soon as he call a play 32 32 whatever he'll let me hey 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 he'll tell me what my assignment is and I go out there and do it you know what I'm saying um after I picked up everything man with the the, the plays and how everything worked it, it it was a challenge but it was I loved the competition I loved the competition I uh, going up against those guys big guys from LSU um it was a Tank Johnson and and, and Carlos Dunlap at Florida um uh, <clears throat> Uh, 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 Mount Cody over in Alabama. <laughs> yeah, man, going up against a, a good bit of those guys, man. That was that was that was that was pretty cool. 
You know what I'm saying? Um, I held my own. And I can honestly say, you know, this was my only time to have to put my stamp on it. I can honestly say I was a very dominant lineman when I when it came to Carolina football. You know what I'm saying? Um, the only times I had any issues was really with health or, you know, con- I had some concussion issues and, you know, my heart issue, of course. Um, uh, I, I think I rolled my ankle one time and I had to miss a game too. But other than that, man, I, I, I was out there doing my thing and, um, it's a hell of a conference to play in. You know, they're fast, they're strong, the guys are smart. They're, 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 you're damn near going out there with grown men every time you go out there on the field. But, you know, it's either you can make it or you can't. And I'm just fortunate enough to be one of those guys that made it. Yeah, and Jarrell, I was going to say, you were a huge part of those Gamecocks offensive lines, and I would argue you helped lay the foundation for what we saw in 2011 and 2013 with the three straight 11-win seasons. You also helped start the five-game winning streak over Clemson. I want to talk about the South Carolina-Clemson rivalry a little bit because, again, you went 2-1 and one against those guys, you know, really beat their butts in both 9 and 10 in the offensive line. I would say we had really good showings in those games. Just Talk about that rivalry as a whole. Again, you're from North Charleston, so I'm sure you're no stranger to that rivalry going, growing up in the state. But actually being a part of it and being in the trenches for it, where things get really, really nasty. Again, as you, you just talked about, I mean, it's a car crash each and every single play. But beating them in 09 and 10 and just being a part of that rivalry, what was that like for you being an in-state guy? You, you want me to tell you what prepared me for that rivalry was being a recruit for Clemson. Going to the Clemson game <laughs> and watching that 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 bro. I was at the oh, Clemson. God. Yes, sir. Oh, I was God. I was a Clemson recruit when they got into that bro. Coming from like you say, coming from North Charleston and, and, and everything, that right there seeing that, man, I, I I knew what it was off the rip. So when it came down to, you know, rivalry week, man, it was it was it was it was more business than usual. You know what right. I'm saying? So it was it was kind of like uh, you know. A lot of folks are like, I don't care what happens during the season as long as you beat Clemson. You know what I'm saying? So okay. there were a, lot of, a lot of guys like that. And I was like, dang, is that serious? So and it, and it is that serious to a lot of folks that we beat Clemson. Yeah. No, you know? for sure. I was, I'm, that was the that I'm gonna be honest with you. That was one of the one of the weeks where it was like, all right, I'm doing everything right. I'm eating all the right foods. I'm I'm resting. I'm I'm stretching a little more. You know what I'm saying? So that was the game. You know that you wanted to show out for. That you wanted to really show. And plus, it's at the end of the season. You know what better to show the the scouts and and everyone else that you are actually next level material than to be able to still perform at a high level in a big time game like that towards the end of the season. You know. Which of the two were your favorite of, of the wins you had over Clemson? Which one was your favorite, 09 or 10? Because obviously they were both really dominating 09 at Willie B and then 2010 at their place. I, 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 I want to say the home one, man, yeah. because it was, we was able to take it in a whole lot more with our crowd being right there. Plus, I got a picture of me on um, Google somewhere <laughs> holding the uh, trophy up, holding that stage. Oh, there you go. So me and, I think it was me and Wes Saunders, I believe, um, after the Clemson Carolina game, and we just over to the fan section, and 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 we we went and turned up for a while, man, and just holding the trophy up, and just and that that right there, I can never forget ever ever in my life. For sure. Now, like I mentioned, Jarrell, you know, obviously the 2010 season extremely special. You know, the only team in school history to go to the SEC championship game. Could you kind of sense going in that year? Because I'm sure Steve Spurrier sold it to you when he got you on campus of, hey, you know, we're building something special here. We're changing the culture. You know, we're changing the way Carolina football is viewed and the the on-field success that we have. Could you sort of sense that coming after the 09 season that you guys had something special in store uh, for 2010? 
I don't think there's a person out there that couldn't sense it, man. I'm going to be real with you. Seeing what we were doing over there and also um, the great job that the staff was doing recruiting, man. It was like every year you literally knew the next man up. And you was like, oh, yeah, he's going to be one. Oh, next year, oh, he's going to be one. When Alshon let go of that number one jersey, who stepped up next? A. Sanders. Yeah. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. mm. Every time it was like, dang, you know, we got all these guys out here pumping, pumping, pumping. And, <laughs> That 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 was something to look forward to, man. You know, um, as I went on and, and, and played my NFL and my pro career in Canada, I, I kept up with the Gamecocks. And, you know, it, it always has, like I said, that next man up mentality uh, and, and, and thing going on over there. So um, big time, man, when when the when the when the cell towers were scrambled after the Alabama game, I knew it was something special. After we beat Alabama at home, yeah. that was that. Of course, that was the biggest game of probably Carolina history to this maybe but um when we beat them at home and it was wild like that was a point in my mind when i was like okay yeah and then we went on to the sec championship game like you said against auburn where yeah cam newton smacked us twice in one year but um and now i give it to him that's cam you know cam, cam was newton cam. turned into superman that day yeah that was cam that was cam run that time man just I, you know, words for it. Being able to see him in person, I, you know, it was awesome. Watch Cam um, Newton. You got Darvin. Had Darvin Adams over there on that team, uh, wide receiver. Um, pretty good guys. I'm cool. You know, DA right now. Shout out to DA. Right now, Jarrell, we mentioned earlier the offensive linemen are the unsung heroes of the team, and you talked about how you know when the running back runs for a long touchdown, he's the one that gets all the accolades. Everything else, you guys don't get much of the credit, but it does help when you have a big-time running back toting the rock. It certainly can help an offensive line. You guys had that in 2010. Marcus Lattimore steps on the scene, this true freshman. Obviously, his coming-out party against Georgia, where I think he broke, like, 50 tackles or something crazy. (laughs) I mean, again, you were a huge part of that offensive line. You guys were a really fantastic offensive line. You didn't pave the way. But talk about blocking for a guy like Marcus Lattimore, who, again, you know, you don't have to give him a huge hole. You just give him a crease – Whatever it might be, he can make a guy miss. He can run through a wimpy tackler. I mean, how much fun is that for you as an offensive lineman, just knowing you've got a ball carrier like that? Like, hey, all we got to give him some daylight, and he can break it. He can take it to the house and make us look really good. It was, it was good to see on film. I promise you, man. Being in the game, <laughs> being in the game and, you know, being business-minded. Like I said, yeah, the game is fun. And when, you, when you're when at a certain level, man, you can do your job and still enjoy the game while the game is going on. You know what I'm saying? So being able to make some of those blocks and look to the side and be like, oh, yeah, he gone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, he gone. Oh, and just running behind him, watching the play. Yeah, I'm running behind him to catch a fumble maybe if it pops out or whatnot. But I'm running behind him like, man, this my, like look at him go. You know what I'm saying? Um, And, and a guy like Lattimore, he, he was the kind of guy to where – his running back vision saved you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So if I miss my block, he had enough vision to see, okay, he's getting beat to the inside where my hole is. Let mm-hmm. me make that cut and get, you know, get one where I need to go break a few tackles. So yeah, it was a, uh, it was awesome because sometimes when you when you get beat on a play, it's like you in your mind, you're like, oh boy, we're gonna ooh, the film room. Your mind literally goes straight to the film room, like, boy, you're about to have a fun with me on the film room. But, <laughs> At least the player messed up. We got 36 yards on uh, rushing because a guy like Lattimore, you know. Yes. Um, shout out to, you know, Bobby Wallace and Mike Davis mm-hmm. and Josh yeah. Giles and Brian Maddox and those boys too, man. Um, I, I, I had a privilege of blocking for them also and 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 them making some big plays. But, yeah, like I said, blocking for Lattimore, it, it, let's all be real. It was different, you know, mm-hmm. different experience. And then like- and the biggest thing about him was he was physical blocking 
too. So he wasn't one of those running backs that just tuck his tail and hide when someone's come blitzing. My boy will put get down in there and get dirty with you. And I'm sure y'all appreciated that. You know, as I, and I, I think I feel like the offensive linemen, y'all appreciate that when you're running backs, your quarterbacks are all like they want to be right there in the trenches with you. Like again, a guy like <laughs> Garcia, we talked off air, you know, somebody who's willing to put their head down and you know, we saw it at Florida 2010 just run somebody over. Like that, that's something right. an offensive lineman I feel like probably fires you guys up a little bit. Heck yeah, man. Stuff like that. Especially what you're talking about, Garcia. You see your when you see your quarterback truck sticking somebody, come on. <laughs> come on now. Yeah. That make you feel like for the next 10, 20 plays, I gotta just bury whoever I'm going against. Yeah. You know? Uh, Brian Maddox was one of them too. Brian yep. B Mac. He was one that we knew to like kind of leave half man for him. Because if B match, B Mad, you know, he, he was he, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if Brian was uh, coming to chip on your side, you knew to get your arm out of there because he was coming. And yeah. you're not going to take my whole right arm off. I need that. So, but yeah. It's, it's funny. Brian Maddox was a really good back, but unfortunately he played on the same team as Marcus Lattimore. You know what I mean? It's like. Right. And I, you know, I, heard some <laughs> people say, I heard some folks saying, you know, um, you know, there's plenty of other teams with, you know, a two-back system Why we couldn't have done something like that. And I, I kind of, you know, I thought about it myself. Like, that would have been pretty cool to see them kind of sharing – you know, maybe some some downs, but hey, it it, it worked, man. Yeah. It worked out. Don't, it don't, worked. You, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned earlier, Jarrell, the 2010 season. I got I got to jump to that Alabama game because I actually saw you know a Twitter account yesterday, uh, an Instagram account, whatever social media account posted the highlights from that Alabama game yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday, saying you know let's never forget what Stephen Garcia, Marcus Lattimore, Stephon Gilmore, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all did to Nick Saban in Alabama in 2010. Eleven years later, I mean, people still. Talk about that game. There were many big wins during your career at South Carolina. There were many big wins from 2011 to 2013. But I'll tell you, I still don't think there are any that are talked about as much as that 2010 Alabama game. Just just talk about that week, that day, that game. And, I mean, how crazy is it, man? People still look back on that game. That's one of the greatest days, if not the greatest day in Carolina football history. I want to say that was uh, the second game we had, right? Because the year before that, I believe we played them at Alabama. Mm, yeah, we, yep, yep, yep. we lost that. We lost yeah. that game. That was the 09 was the Melvin Ingram Wildcat game. He just kept running the Wildcat. Right. Yes. Right. Um, someone actually was talking about that just the other day. I promise you. Um, I, I got it. But um, that game, man, it had all the hype that, it, that, that you would expect for it to have in the locker room, in the weight room. Um, in the dorm rooms, it had the hype that you would expect for to have. The quarterback at the time, he had never lost a football game, I believe. Greg McElroy, yeah, he never McElroy lost. McElroy had never lost a game since, like, high school or something like that. Um, and they had, what was it, Mark Ingram. Trent uh, Richardson and uh, Ingram, yeah. Running back. Yep. They had, man, they, the, the, the they, were, they were touted as the two-headed monster, you know. Julio, got Julio, Julio. Julio at wide receiver out there, you know what I'm saying? And that was the game that I think he broke his hand. Uh, that Alabama game, Alabama Carolina game, but it, that was the biggest game, you know, of my Andre and Kirkpatrick at defensive back, who Alshon Jeffrey know. just had Kirk, fun yes. with all day long. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know you want to throw that one out there. Hey, yeah. Shout out to that boy Alshon, yeah. man, because uh, that 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 catch he did with on the muscle, that one uh, yeah. right on the yeah. yeah, that was huge, you know. Um, but to to watch Lattimore go off that game, you know what I'm saying? Um, to also watch. Our offensive line yep. pretty much control their offensive. I mean, their yeah, defensive y'all had a hell of a day. I was going to say y'all, yes, y'all really pushed them around. Yeah, and our defensive line went at it. I'm talking about, you know, to watch, to be on the sidelines watching guys like Cliff Matthews and Travian Robinson and those guys go at it. I'm talking about go at it all game long, man. Yeah. That is something that you you know, 
I can't explain how the, the, the emotions I get out of that. Mm. You know, um, I actually just talked to Travian and Cliff the other day saying, man, man we got to get back together and kick it, man. We might have to all get together and, <laughs> and come talk to you on the show, man. But yeah. that, Alabama, that Alabama game, dude, that was, that was, that was everything, you know, for mm. college football for me. Um, you know, it, the, the, the preparation was on point. The play calls were on point with the coaching staff and everything. I feel like that was the one game that if we needed everything to go right or for us to do what we, you know, that was the one we put it together. We put it together. Uh, we held the two top running backs to, what, 56 yards or something like that? Yep. Come on, yeah. Come man. Who, 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 who's done that? <laughs> you yeah, that D-line D went off. That, you guys as, a, as an entire team went off that day. And, again, yeah. that, that 2010 season was – was special, man, and obviously still holds a special place in Carolina fans' hearts. I wanted to get to the SEC championship game because when you get to Carolina, of course, you know, that's the that's the goal, that's the dream, if you will. But, you know, to actually walk into the Georgia Dome and be playing in the SEC championship game, again, I, I know it didn't go the way that you wanted or fans wanted or anything like that, but to get to heights that I don't think – I think a lot of South Carolina fans didn't really think were ever possible to get there. Was there a moment where you just looked around you're like, wow, like, we're here, like we made it, we arrived? You know, and I'm be honest with you. That was that was the game. I uh, it was I was up and down with that concussion, mm. so I didn't I didn't get to really do anything that game. Um, and I, I always regret that, man. But I mean, when you get that hit and that knock in the head, you kind of right. yeah. But um, yeah, the whole time I promise you, that's what I was saying. You know, watching Cam Newton run around the field like that, I that was that's when I knew he was he was special, special. I'm gonna be honest with you. you know, Cam now is different from Cam back then, but. You know, that's when he I know he was very special. But um just being in that atmosphere, you know, I even though the game didn't go our way, like you said, I still felt like a champion. I'm gonna be honest with you, man. You know, knowing that we had accomplished what we had accomplished that season to get to where we were and just to be able to say that we in the Georgia Dome, you know, we here, we did it. We 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 made it to this level. We got that respect from the fans, from the 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 the, the, the everyone else. You know what I'm saying? We 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 went out and we got that. And you know just as well as anybody else that, you know. The respect that we did gain, it wasn't just given. Like, we had to go out there and take that going against Georgia and, and tough Tennessee teams, Arkansas, um, all those other guys. Like, we had to go out there and take that, man. So, being at that point, you know, after what all we went through, it wasn't like this little easy, wimpy way through, and then now we're just here playing. It was it was, it was, was everything. It was the whole buildup from the season all the way up to that point, you know. So, and it was awesome seeing guys like – uh like my boy, you know, Tori and everybody just kind of living in that moment. Too. That was one of the biggest things for me was watching the other guys live in that moment also, seeing how happy they were, how appreciative they were to be able to say, hey, we're playing for SEC championship. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, again, you guys laid the foundation. Obviously, you built it up to what it was. And, again, without you guys, I, I, I know for a fact, 2011 to 13 does not happen without those Gamecock teams that, right. again, built up to that and laid the foundation and got to Atlanta in 2010. Jarrell, I want to switch gears and talk about your professional career a little bit because, again, you play for the Giants and Seahawks, also in the CFL with the Argonauts and Rough Riders. I, I'll just ask you kind of as a whole, when you look back at your professional career, biggest takeaways, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of your former teammates and guys who have been in that level, and they talk about, you know, the business aspect of it. You know, it's not college football anymore. It is a business, um, and you learn that side very quickly, and it's a very harsh reality. But, again, um, your, your takeaways, again, I'm sure there were a lot of positive experiences for you, you know, playing in the NFL, achieving probably, I'm sure, a lifelong dream um, at both the NFL and the CFL level. Man, it was, it was, uh, it was everything. You know, looking back on it now, and it was it, it was awesome, dude, being able to say that, you know, number one, I got a college degree. Mm. You know, I graduated. Um, I got that. And also being able to say that 
I went and played in the NFL. Um, not only did I just play, you know, my time there, I recognized that I belonged there, that I was, you know, I was one of those guys that, that, that I was going to be somebody and I was going to go, that was my mentality, man, you know, sitting there talking to, um, um, the GM over there for Seattle, you know, him saying, Hey man, we see you as a 20 million a, a year guy. Mm. You know, you don't, you don't hear that coming from where I'm from. I'm from the making down here in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm from the hood. You don't got too many people whispering in your ear saying, Hey, we see you make as a guy, we won't pay $20 million a year. Mm. You know, um, unfortunately didn't get to that point because of a, a, a tragedy, but, um, that was that was one of the greatest experiences, you know, outside of being in college, man. I, that was my great. I love my college year, but um, that, it, it was awesome, you know, being able to one provide for my family, being able to to have that sense of security within my family and my kids and everything, you know, you know, everything's going to be taken care of as a dad, and then just as a person, being able to have fun with the other fellas, being able to live on a on a certain plateau in life, eat, you know, uh, the best of the foods, you know, go wherever you want to go, kind of, but um. Being in, in that caliber for me was the number one thing. Being able to say, hey, I'm chilling with a Marshawn Lynch. You know, I'm chilling with a Sidney Rice. I'm kicking it with a Brandon Jacobs. You know, Eli Manning is knocking at my door. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that, man. Being able to take that and say that I've been there, especially from where I'm coming from, that's everything, dude. So, you know, it's more for me about the accomplishment in a whole, you know, yeah, I can take away a whole lot of other stuff, you know, being able to work hard and uh, really up in my game with a lot of those guys out there like Red Bryant, Chris Clemens, um, O.C. Umiora, um, Justin Tuck, um, going against those guys on the regular and being able to push myself to know that I'm worthy, you know, to say that I'm an NFL lineman. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's, that's what it is for me. For sure. Now, Jarrell, again, I want to go back to your South kind of days because I wasn't going to get you out of here, of course, without talking about new head coach Shane Beamer. You were obviously at South Carolina uh, when he was on the coaching staff under Steve Spurrier. And, of course, Shane Beamer, the man of the hour, the guy everybody wants to talk about. And I'm sure you were elated when he got the job, obviously, about to begin his first season in just 52 days. I mean, it's going to be here before we know it. But uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Again, I'm not sure you had many interactions with Coach Beamer because he was doing his thing with special teams, and you were obviously on the O-line and stuff like that. But what do you remember about Shane Beamer as a coach on Coach Spurrier's staff? How elated were you when you heard that he got the job and your overall feelings on the future of Carolina football? To me, I didn't see him as a loud kind of guy. Like, he wasn't, you know, out there yelling and and, and joking as much. I mean, he's a cool fella, yeah. I've never had a negative experience with Beamer um, ever. I not to my recollection. Um, but the main thing was when I heard he got the job was, oh, man, somebody that has that 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 experience and feeling of the culture that we created around there when things were going the way they were going. Someone like that is back. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and at, a, at a high caliber, at a head coach position. So knowing that, you know, Coach Beamer is there, especially with his uh, his, uh, you know, lineage, I guess, with, with, with coaching and his dad and everything like that. Um, that I, I, I was I was I was relieved more than anything. I'm serious because the f- biggest thing I thought was like, well, he about to kill this recruiting process because he was a major part of that also back then. Oh, yeah. So that's the first thing I said was like, yeah, he about to get some boys in there. He about to get some boys in the building. And then what happened? Mm, yeah. He recruiting momentum boys. is insane. Yeah, bro. He got some boys in the building. You feel me? So um, my biggest thing, man, is that he you know, he's back there and he has that experience and he's going to I know 
You know what I'm saying? I'm going to say it now on your show right now. And I'll tell you, I know for a fact he's going to be the one that turns things around and and pick back up what we needed to, you know, what we left off at on those that, that high note. And he's going to keep it going in that in that direction, man. So, um, you know, the, over the years, we, we, we tried to get it right with a couple of other guys. You know, hey, what's happened has already happened. But I feel like from our point, that gap, he's going to he's going to he's going to make up for that. I'm saying it right now and I'm putting pressure on him to do so because I know he can. Um, shit, I want to be on the staff with him. I'm telling you, man, if he, if he, if he was to call me up and say, Jarrell, I need someone to come do some, um, you know, player relations or, 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 or assistant coach or I'm there. I got his back on that. I'm, 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 I got everything to give back. And that's the beautiful thing, man. He's bringing in those former players like yourself. I mean, Patrick DeMarco, Shaq Wilson, Byron Gerardo yeah. guys, obviously you, uh, you played with and, and, and went to battle with and guys that were part of those teams, like you mentioned. I, I think that's the thing that Gamecock fans, like you're saying, definitely feel good about is is who better to get South kind of back to those heights and the guy right. who helped build them in the first place to get right. to those heights and recruited some of the best Gamecocks we ever saw put on the uh, put on the jersey. Jarrell, this has been a pleasure, man. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, one, la- to Actually, two more things before I let you go because I, I do want to give you a chance to talk about your Overdrive Academy again. We've, we've mm-hmm. talked a lot. People see on social media about what Steven Garcia and Perry Orth are doing with quarterbacks. And, you know, I, I've seen other Gamecocks, former Gamecocks doing different stuff in the community as well. But obviously, your Overdrive commodity, or Academy, excuse me, you're, you're, you're coaching up offensive linemen, defensive linemen. Just tell the people a little bit about that, kind of where you guys are at, the camps, all the good stuff you're doing for the uh, young players yeah. in the state. So, um, so it's Overdrive Academy, like you said. Uh, we it's offense and defensive lineman training, uh, tight ends also and linebackers. You know, I get the linebackers going with some uh, pass rush moves and run stop, um, shedding the block and everything. And tight ends, I teach them pretty much the blocking aspect of it. Um, uh, that's the biggest thing right now, especially in the NFL days. So like these tight ends that can go out there and catch and run those routes, them boys down there blocking like crazy too. You got the drunks <laughs> and kiddos down there now, so. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you can't just go out there and shy away. You got to be a big ball, big dog. But with overdrive, I'm just, I start off with the youth, man. And that's my largest crowd is the youth. And uh, I realized that in a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, AAU football and everything like that or whatnot, no, no, no knocking to the coaches that try, but there's no one to teach the O-line, D-line. You just got guys out there telling them, put your hands up, step towards your guy. Right. These kids are learning the wrong way to play football, to play line. You know, from at a young age. And my thing is, no, if we teach them to do it the right way, that will become their norm. So what Overdrive Academy is, man, is that not only just a training, you know, program for a young or older offensive defensive lineman, but we want to be able to mentor these guys also. You know, so we want to groom them up and grow them into into young men and into, you know, grown men after that. Um, We're down here in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, 1919 Bolton Street is the address to where we're at. We're at the Ferndale Community Center. Uh, and my goal with Overdrive is to have it everywhere, man. Just like everywhere you see a McDonald's or a Walmart, you can have an Overdrive Academy where we are grooming our offense and defensive linemen from the ground up. You know, so a lot of coaches, even in high school now, and you know, that's the next step is college. But we got a lot of these guys now. They, and I, I promise you, dude, if you go out there and just look at some of these high schools, you have offensive linemen that, they're in 11th, 12th grade. They don't know what an A gap is. They don't know what a, what a nine technique, seven, you know, three technique is. And that's all because of the structure of the, you know, the system from youth league football to B team high school. Right. That around here, it needs a major restructure. Um, and I'm just trying to be a part of that, man, because we got some great guys. We got some good talent down here in Charleston, but these guys don't get looked at because they don't have the the skill 
as much, you know, as the other guys that can get, you know, they're down there at Carolina and they can get more attention and everything like that. Or they're out there in Texas and they, they got these big camps on there. We don't have anything really down here. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the help of some of my other guys, Quentin Richardson, I just did a camp out here in uh, Columbia with the Columbia Knights. Um, and Quentin Richardson, he came out and he helped with the kids. And I got that on film. Um, and it was awesome, man. Uh, we had camp down in Savannah with the, uh, the Southeastern Bulldogs. Um, that's another youth team. We had a camp. We have a, uh, with St. John's High School out here. That's coming up on the 26th, Baptist Hill High School. That's on the 24th of July um, out there at Baptist Hill. Um, we had a camp at Ashley Ridge High School out here. Um, that was pretty, you know, we had about 60, 70 something kids out there, all all linemen, all linemen. So just like I said, we have the seven on seven pass camps going on where these guys are working on their crafts. And you got these guys going from seven on seven pass camps, going to these, these you know, getting to division one offers and other offers from other schools because they're working on the craft in the off season. They have those programs available. Mm-hmm. There's not really anything in set right now for old linemen and D linemen to perfect their craft. These guys just go work at like, you know, Golden Corral or Burger King or something like that. Right. And they go eat all the food. And now they're 20 pounds heavier next season with no extra skill, you know, right. added. So trying to, trying to, trying to reverse that curse right now, man, and bridge that gap. And um, I actually would, I, I would love to hear from other offensive and defensive linemen that could, you know, give back more experience to these kids uh, that want to aspire to play line. And lastly, just like you said, man, unsung heroes, it's not, cool to be an offensive lineman so i'm trying to do something to where these kids kind of see like hey you know it is cool to be an o-lineman we get to put people in the dirt every play if we can you know what i'm saying we get to we get to do the, the, the dirty work we get to be the, be the big dogs on the team you know so um I'm, I'm doing my part as a as a as a former offensive lineman and defensive lineman to kind of you know de- develop these kids and evolve the game from a, a, a youth aspect you know growing from the ground up Drew, I love that. Here on the Spurs Up show, we love and appreciate the guys on the line of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively. So I, I appreciate what you're doing. Love to hear it. Um, last thing, Drew, before I get you out here, speaking of the offensive and defensive line, again, you mentioned some of them earlier, but I think back to those days when you played. Guys like Eric Norwood, Cliff Matthews, Clifton Gathers, the the the, the Brinkley brothers, the, the Lindsey twins, don't forget them. Yeah. Can you recall back to, was there one guy specifically that gave you the most memorable battles in practice that you can remember? <laughs> As everybody already know who know me, Cliff Matthews, man. <laughs> uh, I'm left tackle, and he was that defensive and lined up with me every play. And I tell people all the time, you know, I love that dude more than anything because of his competitive spirit and and the fact that he 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 it was iron sharpening iron. Yeah. Um, I tell people all the time. I tell the kids these. A lot of these kids don't know how to be aggressive. They don't know. They they're nice kids. They're good kids. They don't know how to be aggressive though. When it comes to the the play starting and the play finishing, they don't know how to flip that switch. Mm-hmm. And I tell them a story about me and Cliff to get them to flip the switch. And real quick, and I'm gonna summarize it. Mm-hmm. Um, me and Cliff went up against each other every day, dude. And I block Cliff and the plays that I block Cliff and lock him down, he would beat the living crap out of my forearm. He would like just half, half, half at my arm and trying to get me to let him go. And I didn't let him go because I'm like, nah, it's my job to lock you up. So, you know, when I got my chance to get him, I got him. Man, I'll probably say later on, my arm was huge. I'm talking about swollen. I, it was hard to move it. My fingers, it got swollen because he kept beating them on. Now, he beat my arm at, at one play, and I had to move my arm, and I realized, like, damn, that's what he was doing. He was tenderizing me, you know? And I'm like, 
that's my teammate. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's my boy. After after practice, we go eat pancakes at IHOP down the street on assembly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it was constant, man. It was like two. It was a car crash every play. Me, literally, me and Cliff would go at it, dude. And that was the most memorable thing about outside of Alabama. Anything, man. I always tell guys, that's the guy right there, dude. Because I could have had a guy that wanted a brother-in-law 24/7 to where he was like, man, do we gonna take off this play? Or he didn't know. Cliff came hard every play, dude. And like I said, I credit a lot of my success to having a guy like that on my team. And I try to preach that to these guys also. You're like, you want to get better, man. You want to win games. Go hard at your boy. Go hard at your boy. Make sure he is on point because when it comes game time, there's nobody on that field that should that should show him anything that you haven't already gave to him. For sure. Well, Jarrell, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Like I said, that's awesome. And I, I will say this about Cliff Matthews. Anybody that would go that hard with a freaking club on their hand is a little bit of a maniac. So I'm, I'm sure, yeah, Gamecock fans all remember that. The the massive club he is just like the reckless abandon. The yes, sir. Not, he only knows one speed. One, one speed. Yes, yeah, sir. One speed. And, and that's why Gamecock fans love Washington. But Jarrell, seriously, I appreciate you taking the time, man. I know I can speak for all Gamecock fans when I say it was a pleasure to watch you and your teammates do what you did, and especially – you know, on the offensive line, I mean, that those were certainly the foundations of those great teams, and especially that team in 2010. And it was a pleasure to watch you do what you did, man, and love to hear what you're doing in the community down there in Charleston or across the state and helping out young football players. I think it's awesome, man. And and right. uh, obviously, I know, again, 52 days away, we're all looking forward to the Shane Beamer era and watching I'm this thing yeah. take place, man. So I appreciate you taking the time, Drell. It's going to be a hell of a ride. Let's definitely do it again soon for sure, my man. Yeah, no doubt, man. I'm going to see if I can get those guys to jump on also. Yeah, no, we should definitely do that. We should definitely do that for sure. He's Darrell King. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Up Show.